0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is where it all counts. This
1: is why we're
0: here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, the NFL draft is now just two weeks away. Here at Saturday, Sunday, we have been covering it wire to wire, bringing on some of the best in the industry to share their takes as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft. If you missed the last two episodes, uh, we had Fran Duffy on talking about the running backs. and Then we had David Seibert from Our Lads talking about the uh, wide receivers. And now today, we are really excited to have back with us Mark Schofield.
1: Mark, welcome back another year to the Saturday-Sunday Football Podcast. It is an honor to be back, Paul, for another year. Um, as you said, we are literally two weeks from tonight. So I'm trying to do the math of my head. I was told there would be no math, but literally <laughs> two weeks from this moment, I think the Lions will be on the clock. It is now 9.13 on the East Coast. And I think if my math is right, the Lions will be on the clock because the draft doesn't always start right at eight. You get 10 minutes and all that stuff. Um, so obviously, picks could be made quicker, but... Theoretically, the Lions might be on the clock two weeks from this moment when they draft Anthony Richardson. No, I don't know if they're going to draft <laughs> Anthony Richardson at six, but it's a possibility. Sure, one of many we can dive into. So so let's kind of use that as like a tipping off point and a little bit of a joke. If
0: in two weeks from today, the Lions are on the clock, how many quarterbacks are gone when they're on the pick at, at six? How many do you think are going to be gone? And how many, if you had the, the decision
1: power, would be gone? Okay, so I think... I think three will be gone. Okay. It's a possibility for like, there is a legitimate world where we get QB, 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 QB to start the draft. I, I think that is possible. Whether it's a, somebody leaps frog, leaps frog with Arizona to get ahead of India and takes a quarterback and then Indy takes QB four or Indy comes up to three and then Arizona after four, trading down to four trades out again. And somebody comes up four. I think it's possible. I think it's more likely though, that it's three and there's an opportunity for Detroit if they want to draft QB four, but they'd probably, I think in that world pass on QB four, maybe draft somebody later. And then you see if the Raiders do it at, uh, at seven, but it's possible. We do get four in the first four picks. It is. Yeah, possible. I- if it were me, it's three. Uh, that was the second part of the question just because, yep. and, and look, this isn't a year where it's like, look, there's one guy. There's one clear QB one. Some years it's been that. This year, if you want to tell me that Bryce Jones' your QB one, I get it. If you want to tell me Richardson is your QB one, I can see it. If you want to tell me Will Levis is your QB one, I'm not quite gonna jump on board with you, but okay, you can make a case. My guy is Stroud, which we can get into. Um, but I think Richardson, Young, Stroud, like those will be the ones that go, I think. Levis probably slides seven, nine, eleven into that range, but he's still going to go in the top fifteen in all likelihood. Is there a world he goes in the top four? Yeah, it would be a world where I was calling the shots, but maybe the world where the other people that are much smarter than me are calling the shots—that happens. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating this quarterback.
0: So you mentioned a CJ Stroud or QB one. So let let's use that as the the next jumping off point there. uh What is it about his game that you like most? And I. I think in really interesting question, and you know, for someone like yourself who studies the quarterback so in depth, the last game of him and what he showed us—did that change the narrative on what you perceived his ceiling to build, ceiling to be, what you think his ceiling to be? If that game never existed, do you think he's still your QB one? Like we've never had that kind of conversation that could one game really mean that much? Because you hear, you listen to some people and maybe it's this hot tickety or whatever. They make it seem like that game dramatically changed things. I think it was important for him, but as someone who studies so much quarterback tape, do you think he, if that game never exists, is he still your QB one? And then just talk a little bit about
1: him and what you like about him in general. Yeah. If that Georgia game, if they don't get into the playoff or that Georgia game doesn't happen the the winner, he's still my QB one. But I feel a little bit better about it it with that game happening because obviously the big questions about him were athleticism, ability to play in the face of pressure, ability to create outside the pocket, use his legs, mobility, because that's where the NFL game is trending. That's what we're seeing over the past couple of years, and that's frankly why part of the reason why Bryce Young might end up being the first pick because Bryce Young can certainly do that and has done it more consistently over his collegiate career than CJ Stroud. Now, what stands out for me with Shroud is the ball placement, the ability to put the football where it needs to be, when it needs to be there, on time, in rhythm, on almost if, – if you say that there are 75 types of throws that a quarterback needs to make, on like 73 of them, it's always where it needs to be. Now, I, I did a show with brilliant Matt Waldman, and he has some reservations about throws where he has to layer it, say, up the seams with safety help over the top, and you've got to fit it – you know, over the underneath trail defender in front of that safety. Yeah, there are times where perhaps Shroud's belief in his ball placement ability gets him into trouble there. But like I said, that's three out of 75 throws that a quarterback might be asked to make over the course of you know a couple of weeks of game time that he might struggle with. Everything else is where it needs to be. He is, as he said in Indianapolis, as he looked us in the eye at the podium and said, I'm a ball placement specialist. And I used to be, Paul, and you know this, in the years we've been doing these shows, I used to be so dogmatic, right? Like, you got to know the difference between cover two, cover three, cover four, six, rip Liz, stubby stump, all that stuff. I'm I'm taking my notes. You can see the binders up in the corner (laughs) up there, all the handwritten notes over the years, like the little indicators pre-snap. I've moved so far away from that over the years doing this because I've come around really to the idea that you can fill that knowledge base in over time. What I need to know right now before the draft, you don't need to know the, that stuff. It'd be great if you did, but if you don't, do you still know where to put the football and can you get it there what it needs to be? If you give me that, we got a good start and off point. Stroud's, that part for Stroud is so off the charts incredible that I think when he gets to the next level, he's going to be just fine. Now, the athleticism component, it was interesting because he was obviously asked the block about that. And he talked about how, his youth football coach, his high school coaches all sort of instilled in him, you're going to be a pocket passer. And that's his starting point. It's like, look, I got Marvin Harrison Jr. I got Chris Olave. I got JSN. These guys are open and I don't throw them the ball because I'm running around. I'm going to hear about it. My job is to get them the ball. And I love the sort of understanding of that, understanding of being a quarterback and getting the ball to your teammates and letting them create. And I also love his self-awareness was maybe I should have run more. Maybe I should have shown what I can do more. Because as he said, there are glimpses. You watch Michigan, Michigan State, some of his other games, and there are moments when it's like, yeah, maybe it's like three plays in the course of a game, but you can see the potential. And so I think what the Georgia game did, it certainly changed his narrative on the like macro level, right? Because everybody that saw that game said, okay, well, that's the last box that he had to check and he checked it. It didn't really move the needle for me. But maybe in a sense, it bumped that ceiling up a little bit, right? Because pre-Georgia, the most common comp you might have seen for him was Jared Goff, which is like, yes, he's a very good pocket passer, but is there a plus to that? Is there more he can offer? Now you're seeing maybe Jared Goff plus, plus, plus. Maybe some. I've seen some Dak. I've seen some Romos. Like The narrative has certainly changed a little bit. It didn't move the needle much for me, but it moved it on the sort of larger discussion. I think the final interesting point about Stroud is, and this gets to the idea of the draft happening so late in the process, right? If the draft is April one, he's probably QB one, right? Because it seemed like Georgia, the combine, a lot of that stuff, the throwing session he had in Indy, which I was in the building for that, it was fantastic to see in person. It felt like coming out of Indian, out of the start of pro day season, Stroud was one one. And it seemed like then we got Bryce Young's pro day, and now the narrative has sort of flipped back where it's like seems like Bryce Young is the pick at one. So you wonder if the Georgia game, while it was a great closing argument for him, were almost so far removed that we're losing some of the shine from that, from his draft stock perspective.
0: Now, if he ends up going number one, the Panthers made a big move to come up there, and he's your QB one. Do you think he's the type of guy that, a team like the Panthers, is he willing to – are you willing to invest? Because their GM, now, their their franchise, is putting it on whoever they pick at number one, right? You make that bold of a move, you better be right that that guy's a guy who can drive the bus and not just be a guy who's a part of things. Do you do you think Stroud can be that guy? Is he worth the, the jump up if that's where they end up going, even though right now the tea leaves maybe, say, Bryce Young? Do you think he warrants yeah. that jump up?
1: I do, but I can see why others might not. And it's so great that you sort of use the the drive-the-bus narrative, right? Because one of the concerns, and this is sort of the flip side to that Georgia game coin. It's great that he did it against Georgia. It's fantastic. Where was it the rest of the time? Like the self-awareness and stuff that I just talked about was great. But if you had this club in the bag, why not use it more? and so then the next question that builds off of that is are we going to see the Georgia game consistently in the NFL or when things get chaotic in the pocket are we going to see more of what we saw pre-Georgia which is I'll maybe I'll slide around in the pocket but I might throw it away or I might check it down or I might not do what I did against Georgia are we going to see sort of a reversion to the pre-Georgia game Stroud if that's the guy you're getting which is a possibility that's the you know trailer in the tractor trailer analogy that Jeremiah and others have used, right? That's the, you know, cook. That's the chef versus baker argument that I've used. That's the chef that goes, step, I mean, the baker that goes step by step and step and doesn't sort of create and paint outside the numbers. And so do you come up to one for somebody that's going to be ultimately a jugs machine, a Jared Goff in the pocket? Or do you come up to one with the investments that you made and the draft capital you've given up? for somebody that's going to go beyond that a young for example or even a Richardson I mean Anthony Richardson a one overall I think it's a conversation that's happening I don't know if it ultimately does but if you're going to take this wild swing maybe take the big one and go with Richardson now ultimately what I love so much about what Carolina did not just by moving up to one so they could be sure they get their guy was what they've put around the quarterback position like, we're going to talk about what Levis in a moment but when Carolina was sitting at nine and it looked like Levis might end up there as QB4, I thought it'd still work because you've got Frank Reich, who is in the building to help Carson once become, you know, what he was before the knee injury and all that. You've got Josh McCown, who was a, you know, player coach basically for Sam Donald, Jim Caldwell, like Parks Fraser, like all the coaching experience they put around the quarterback position. I don't think it really matters who they pick because I think that player is going to be successful. People on like fantasy shows and others ask me, who do you think is going to be the, the best quarterback of this group? Who's going to be the 1-1 in Superflex drafts going forward? And I tell them, I don't know right now, but I'll know when the Panthers turn in that card because whoever's name is on it is a player that's in a position to be successful. So, you know, long answer short, I think Stroud's worth coming up for. I could understand why a team would see it differently and come up for one of the other guys. But I think whoever Carolina picks is going to be in a very good position.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he's a guy that the Panthers have the infrastructure there to hopefully help aid a young quarterback, maximize his strengths, which we know is so important in the game. And so many teams, you know, it seems like it should be a novel concept, but it really isn't at times. Uh, You know, you know, we started in New York for years with Daniel Jones and, then (laughs) you know, finally this year. I think he was put in a position to maximize his strengths, and, and we saw the best of him. Let's go to Bryce Young, who, like we said, maybe the tea leaves right now are him going number one. And, you know, before we talk about him, if he goes number one and the Texans pass on TJ Stroud, Lance Zerline should just go live sometime on draft night and, like, smoke the cigar. You don't even like have Joe to stay. anything. After the just go live
1: stream. And smoke know, the
0: cigar. Joe Burrow, the cigar, style Burrow style, national champion Burrow style,
1: the champagne, <laughs> and just kind of sit there and look at the camera like I told you. <laughs> I mean, that's a gutty, gutsy call. I and look, let's face it, Lance Zerline, like the first page of his contact licks, list in his cell phone has more names on it than mine ever will. So like, if he's going there, and I, I've written this a couple of times over to SB Nation the past couple of days, there's something to it. Now, it wouldn't be me. I mean, if I pass it on CJ Stroud at two to take, you know, Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, or Tyree um, Wilson was the name he put Tyri out Tyree Wilson was the name that he put out there. And then see what you could do, you know, 8, 9, 10 with that pick of 12, maybe come up to get a quarterback. Could not be me? But it does get us to where I, uh, where I began, right, which was all four of these guys, there's a case to be made in their favor for having NFL success. And so maybe in their view of things in, on Houston's board, you know, their vertical board and everything – the gap between Shroud and Levis is not as big as one might think. Or maybe even Will Levis is ahead of Shroud on their board. And they think, well, we'll see what it looks like when we get to seven, eight, nine. And maybe one of those guys is there. We'll still like them. We could do it a little bit differently and roll the dice. It'd be a gutty call. And I'm look, I'm glad I'm not in the shoes making that one because <laughs> I get nervous. I get nervous before pitching a uh, bat in practice in 12U baseball. <laughs> Making that kind of call, I wouldn't sleep for a month. Yeah. And and if he's connected to one team more than it's any other the team is it's, so, it's, yeah. so
0: I mean, I think I think that really, you know, for people who follow Lance's work, and I think his work is tremendous, like that yeah. that really like perked up the ears. It was like, okay, like he's putting and, this out there, and there there's a little bit whether whether it ends up being the decision if they if Bryce Young actually goes one, who knows? But there's at least being conversations. That information doesn't get to Lance's, look, you know, uh, fingertips to, to write that first,
1: out. Lance was first, but others have followed. Matt Miller has talked about it. Adam Schefter now has talked about it on, on TV, and the two of them discussed it along with Jordan Reed, our good friend Jordan Reed, on Schefter's podcast. Like now, we've got it. Peter King opened the door to it in a recent column as well. He said it's still probably, I forget which percentage you use, maybe eighty or ninety percent that they go quarterback there. But we're seeing this non-zero percent chance that Houston wildly shakes this all up and everybody's idea of QB, QB to, is, is a lock, right? I wrote the piece a couple of weeks ago at SB Nation that the draft begins at three with a lock-hard certainty that it's QB, QB to start. <laughs> Maybe I'm the wrong one. And that's happened before. It will happen again. Um, it would certainly make for content. I mean, it's that Ravel tweet, right? I, I, this is horrible for the Houston Texans, but it makes for great content because it could happen. Absolutely. So let's talk
0: Bryce Young. Uh, What is it? Obviously, how concerned are you about the the size and frame? Do you think he could overcome that based on if he's at, if he's asked to play a certain way and then, you know, what is it that you like most about him? You know, we hear the the same stuff, uh, but maybe you go into a little bit more deeper context in, in terms of what you, what you like so much about him as well.
1: Yeah, I mean look, if, if Bryce Young was 6'3, you know, 225 or something like that, I I, I think it's an easier call to go one one. I mean, the frame is a part of the discussion here because you know, we've seen smaller quarterbacks go one one, right? Kyler, Baker. Um, they were like built differently. You know, Bryce Young is a little bit smaller frame. Yes, he weighed in at 204. If you think he's played at 204, well, you and I need to play a little bit of poker sometime because <laughs> I don't think he was playing at 204. He's playing closer to 194, which would be my, my bet. Um, and, you know, 5'10", 194, that's about what I am. And I can tell you that I get beat up playing D3 ball. Um, NFL is a whole different ball ballgame. Um, but that being said, what's worked for him to this point, and it's not like he was playing in the NESCAC, he was playing in the SEC – at 5'10", 194, is his ability to find throwing lanes, his ability to respond to two, three, four points of pressure in the pocket, the aggression he throws when he breaks the pocket, right? He's not somebody that's breaking the pocket to check it down. He's breaking the pocket to punish you. Like, if he has an opportunity to throw a deep corner out while he's on the move, rolling left, rolling right, slide it back into the pocket, and bury you over the top, he's going to do it and it's going to do it extremely well. And that's extremely impressive. You and I have talked for years about the difference between an aggressive quarterback and a conservative one. Stroud's the more conservative one, at least to this point, the Georgia game gives him a little bit more of an argument that he can be aggressive. Young's extremely aggressive when he's especially playing outside the pocket. And I love to see that from a quarterback because I'd much rather tell you, hey, you know what? He's not going to be able to get away with that on Sunday. Dial it back a little bit. It's easier to do that than it is to say, hey, you know, you've got to take these chances. If you've been this conservative at this point, it's harder to get you to go that extra step. So I love that stuff about Yun. And also look, a lot of people highlight Orlowski and others have highlighted, and they've done incredible work on it. Nate Tice has done work on this, the process and the ability to read stuff out, the ability to react to a rotated coverage and read it perfectly and still manipulate defenders along the way. Others can do that in this class. Stroud can certainly do it. Richardson can do it. And I've got examples of him doing it, but Young's doing it down in, down out, like, at an extremely high consistent level which i absolutely love and people will point to the height and say well what about throwing over the middle does that extremely well drive concepts dagger concepts whatever he's asked to do attack between the numbers attack between the hash marks he doesn't have a problem seeing the middle of the field because he's so good at finding throwing lanes to do that now is it teaching tape no you know when i'm coaching quarterbacks this weekend I'm not going to put Bryce Young film in front of him and say, this is how you should drop back into a pocket. I'll show them Stroud film. But when it's time to show them, okay, what happens when things break down? That's when I pull out the Young stuff because he's loose on drops. He's not getting to the right depth and things like that. But like JT Osullivan on a pod he did with Mina Kahn, it's like, you live with that because he's so good at getting to a, a spot ish that he's supposed to be at, but get into the right spot he needs to get to, to make that concept work. And so You know if it sounds like i'm describing qb1 it's because for many people he is qb1 and frankly he's probably my 1b um very good clean prospect the size the frame is a concern but you're not going to use him like you use jalen hurts in the run game you know hurts is a smaller in terms of height but very stocky powerful quarterback you're gonna have to sort of pick your spots and young does a very good job at protecting himself at sliding dipping out of bounds things like that um So I think he'll be able to be used in the run game just differently. You're going to use him more on the edges. You're not going to run, you know, inside QB iso with him. Um, But you'll pick your spots with him. And I think he's relatively scheme diverse. Although I would like to see him in more of a spread, quick game type of system because he's so good at reading, reacting, getting the ball out quickly. That's the kind of environment I'd love to see him in. But very good prospect, extremely good prospect. If he's the first pick overall, I totally understand.
0: Yeah, I mean, when people say he's, like, the prototype in terms of, like, the point guard out there, that's exactly – it It fits him well. He finds ways to solve problems. There are yeah. different problems from play to play, and that's what makes him uh, such a unique quarterback prospect as well. Let's. You mentioned them before that you could understand the argument for Anthony Richardson all the way up at, at 1-1. What is it about his game that you like? Uh, do you think his – areas of development are fixable hard to fix easily fixable Uh, you know i think the interesting thing about anthony richardson is i'm not sure he gets much value sitting for a year he needs in my opinion he needs reps and he needs lots of reps and you know like part of the unknown about trey lance is yeah he ended up in san francisco but that also ended up on a really good team that wasn't ready to throw him into the, the fire, and he probably needed that. And then they injury this year, so like Trey Lance is a complete unknown right now because he's barely played any football for years and years. Anthony Richardson, I think, needs reps. It'll be interesting to see if a team drafts them, and if they do, like look at the Lions. He's not getting on the field for the Lions this year without an injury, maybe yeah. even two years, right? Like, yeah. and and what is like. That's asking a lot for a kid who already has very limited experience. So how do, how do you gauge that? How do you gauge the, the areas that clearly need some development and refinement to the mixture of literally of Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson when you're talking about just physical capabilities? You know, he literally runs like Lamar, but he's got the body size of, of Cam. It's wild. <laughs>
1: Yeah. First of all, I would like you to pick up the microphone that's in front of you, turn it to the side, and then drop it, please, because that was absolutely <laughs> perfect. Uh, absolute mic drop moment, because I'm 100% in line with you. Anthony Richardson needs to play. Like, I Is there a scenario where, like, you know, the Lions draft or the Seahawks draft him and they sit him for a year and it could still work out? Yeah. I would much rather see him drafted by a team that, like, I look at Indianapolis, I look at their new head coach. I look at the offense that he put together for Jalen Hurts, and maybe it's not week one, but by, like, Halloween, it's Anthony Richardson's show. And we get him on the field. And I also want to see him. Don't give me this, like, we're going to run, like, a watered-down version of our offense with Anthony Richardson. No, you run your full offense because here's the thing. He could run it. Like, you, one of the things that people say he's raw, and I push back just like you did. No, he just needs reps. His eyes tend to be right. His eyes tend to be where they need to be. You watch him against Florida State. He had a seam route touchdown to Pierce off the right seam where he's looking the safety off. He had a play against South Florida where they spun it middle field close to middle field open. He runs smash concept. Not only does he sort of read it right, he then manipulates that curl flat defender, gets him to come downhill on the flat seven route, but throwing the corner route over the top of it. And so he's ready to play. Like, will there be mistakes and bumps? Yes, he's a rookie quarterback that has 15, what, 15 starts at the college level? Like, he's going to make mistakes. But he needs reps to iron that stuff up. You know, people will point to the you know, the completion percentage to say that he has ball placement issues. Are there throws that he's missed? Yeah. Show me a quarterback that hasn't missed throws. I mean, even Stroud, as good as he is, as we talked about, misses some throws. The thing with Richardson is there are some drops and there's some other stuff to explain some of that, you know, dip that lower ball completion percentage than some of the other quarterbacks in this class. But for the most part, the eyes are right. It's the other stuff like the lower body mechanics and things like that, that he needs to sort of clean up. I think it's fixable. It's, you know, going to take some work. It's not a guarantee that it gets fixed, but it's fixable. And it's not as hard as I, I think if it were a situation like Sam Donald or better case might be Blake Bortles where it's upper body mechanics That's tougher to fix. I think the fact that his eyes tend to be where they need to be, and it's a matter of getting it all in sync, I think makes me believe it'll be easier to fix. Still will need work, but it'll be easier to fix. And, you know, I mentioned being in Lucas Oil. The ball comes out differently. Like, even when he was warming up, he was just throwing, you know, simulated digs, 35 yards on a line. Like, just easy velocity. And so my final point about that and Lucas Oil and the combine is this. People say, well, what does a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical do for a quarterback? What does that mean? It means velocity. It means he's an explosive athlete. It means torque in the upper body throwing motion. It means that when he drops back to throw a dig route and he and Stetson Bennett are throwing that same route, he gets an extra half second or more in the pocket bet it does, and the ball still gets there at the same time. So he can read stuff out a little bit longer in the pocket. There's comparisons to Josh Allen, right? And that's the hope that, yeah, Josh Allen, similar bad completion percentage in college, but sort of fixes it through the NFL. What worked in Josh Allen's favor? That explosiveness as an athlete. That torque, which leads to velocity on throws. So when he's reading a dig route, his rookie excuse me, an out route, his rookie season against the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field, right hash to left sideline, he could wait until the last possible second and still rip it and get it there on time to let him understand that, look, this is what I'm seeing. I've got time. I can read this out, but I can still get it there when it needs to be there because of that torque, because of that velocity. And so I think this is all stuff that's fixable, but I'm with you, Paul. I want him on the field.
0: Yeah, to me... You know, in the, my last show, we I mentioned that Quinton Johnson was one of the more polarizing prospects in this draft class, and I think Anthony Richardson's right there too, right? Because somebody could look at him and say, "I, I don't." I don't like the film enough from the lack of playing time to the statistics and obviously you know here today Sunday we're all about really analyzing the film deeper than just looking at statistics and I look at Anthony Richardson and I say yeah I'm in like if the Giants didn't have the year they had last year I was thinking about Anthony Richardson from like last October that like this could be a guy that Dable and Kafka would, would love to have on their team if the Giants season didn't go the way it did and, and I think they would have been very very intrigued with him if they were a team like picking in the top 10 and their season played out differently. But I think I look at the Colts and I think to myself, he just psych and came from Philadelphia. He saw what they could do to bring Jalen hurts around, along. I have such a hard time thinking if he is picking the quarterback there that he wants, than him picking Will Levis over Anthony Richardson, like maybe it's the more GM, and he doesn't want to, he doesn't put the the trust on the coach picking his guy, but it just makes a lot of sense. And his running ability in, in the don't like there's just so many levels that I think the Colts get on the field, get on those reps, a, a guy who just created an offense and and helped harness the development of Jalen Hurts. It makes a lot of sense. I, I would like to see that be his landing spot. We'll we'll see if they even get the opportunity, right, if a team leapfrogs right. you know, them to Arizona, which, I mean, right now Arizona's in a pretty strong position. Like, Arizona should be fielding calls. I'd be surprised if Arizona makes that pick. Like, whether it's the Colts moving up one pick and getting something from them or another team, I, I think Arizona's in a pretty – as long as they're okay with a couple of the defensive prospects – they're in a pretty strong position to, to, to get a, a a decent haul there. I think for a team to move up there and, and I think Richardson is well worth it for a team to come up there or at four, just to be the pick there. So it's going to be fun to watch Anthony Richardson. And I hope unlike Trey Lance, who we talked about, I hope he gets an opportunity to get on the field rather soon, uh, to start getting those reps to kind of iron out some of the kinks, uh, that I do think experience would help do. Let's go shoot this over to Will Levis. Uh, I'm, I'm lukewarm on him. I, I think he's more of a day two guy. I, I get the comps to Carson Wentz. I think it's a little bit unfair to Carson Wentz. I think that's more of who Carson Wentz has morphed into than the prospect he was coming out. I think Carson Wentz was a cleaner prospect uh, than Will Levis. Uh, you know, we've had plenty of conversations that I think yourself included and me thought Daniel Jones was a second round pick coming out. I could see some people looking at Will Levis and, and, and comping him to what Daniel Jones was coming out and, you know, so, so where are you on Will Levis, do you think his issues are fixable? And if not, is that what's holding him back of maybe being a guy that, you know, as we're willing to overlook some of Anthony Richardson's areas of development and maybe not so much Will Levis, is it based on he's had plenty of experience and we haven't seen that improvement or are different types of weaknesses that you think might be a little bit harder to fix?
1: yeah i mean there's similar weaknesses and i'm with you i'm much more lukewarm on levis like in a sort of you know just grading players in a vacuum he's like late first early second did you like him more in Pickett last year i liked Pickett more okay um you know and so you know i i understand the reservations about Pickett, but you know last year's class was different i liked malik willis in last year's class like I, i thought both of those players were going in the first round and Only one of them did. Um, We all sort of missed, or at least I missed, uh, on some of the players last year. But we all have misses. It happens. You know, with Levis, there are some things that are similar to Richardson that need to be fixed, particularly lower body footwork and mechanics. But there's also, like, decision-making, situational awareness. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be fixed. There's something working in his favor, though. And it's a phrase that we've talked about before. Coach him up by this, right? Which is the idea that, okay, well, he probably took a step back last year, new offensive coordinator. They lost some talent, you know, some players to the NFL, but we get him in our building with our coaches, with our talents, and we can get him back to where he was in 21 and then build from there. We can fix him. And in some environments with some coaching staffs, that could work, but in others, it might not. You no, know, and, you know, I mentioned talking with Matt Waller about him. Sometimes the feet, they're like, One's going this way, one's going that way. It's like, we're just talking about setting the hallway, man. Like, we got to get the feet pointed in the right direction. And we're building from a place where they're sometimes not. Like, that's going to be a bit more work. And so, like, there are things to like about him. You know, he he can dial up velocity when he needs to. Coming from the two offensive systems he's been in, there's going to be the low, you know, pro style offense tag that he's going to get hit with. You know, there are things to sort of work with. But I think that there's more work that he needs even with respect to just comparing him to Richardson, let alone the other two guys. And so he's more the guy that I think, you know, if there's going to be one that's still sitting in the green room, say middle of the first round and we're wondering where does it sort of happen, you know, absent the sort of cute four QBs to start, if there's one that's going to slide, I think it's him.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think it'll be interesting because like, I think some teams they're in the teens, like, the Titans are they thinking about like you know kind of hitting the rebuild button? I mean, and I was on a up?
1: I was on a Nashville show earlier today, and they were asking a lot of questions about Will Levis. I mean, and so look, I think eleven like it's probably sooner than I would again in a vacuum draft him, but with the idea that maybe he sits a little bit behind Tannehill, and you get him into sort of an offense that might be you know, in line with what he does well, maybe it could work. But then they asked me, you know, should the Titans consider trading up? And I'm like, if you're going to come up, come up for Richardson. If you're going to stay there and make a pick if you're a Tennessee, like, yeah, you could draft Levis there. If you're going to think about coming up back into the first round, maybe a Hendon Hooker or at the top of the second, like trade it up for Will Levis. I know it's been discussed and maybe we do see it, but that wouldn't be me making that call. Yeah, and it'd be interesting because like,
0: Draft Twitter is obviously down on Will Levis. There were some concerns about Drew Locke, and it ended up being draft Twitter was right, right, and he falls to the second round. I don't get the vibe that the NFL looks like Well, It just seems like there's been too much and for too long, and somebody like Mel Kuyper, who's like – his, his, his sources are as reliable as you can. Like, he's been pretty high on Will Levis the, the whole way. I don't see Will Levis falling, maybe to where some people are like, oh, this is going to be Drew Locke again. He's going to fall, you know, to the second. I don't see it. I still think he's going to go. Yeah. I, I think we probably have four in the top 15. Uh, if one falls, I do think it will be Will Levis. But yeah, you're right on it. If I'm the tight ends, I'm trading up for Richardson. That I would never want to be a defensive player if Anthony Richardson and Derrick Henry are back there and it's a run play. Like,
1: Yeah. I mean, like, imagine you being sort of like scrape exchange linebacker and you've got to deal with one of those two guys like coming over. The- no, I- there'll be a lot of business decisions made if that scenario comes to fruition.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Let's let's kind of open it. Actually, no, let's let's bring up in Hendon Hooker before I kind of open it up to see. Is Hendon Hooker fifth for you? Is he is he ahead of Will Levis? I know that's been out there a little bit out there. Uh, What's your take is and how hard is it to evaluate a guy like Hendon Hooker coming out of that offense that just schemes things beautifully open to make it very easy, but not also very practical when we're talking about from an evaluation standpoint in terms of, you know, translate into the next game. A lot of projection goes into that, not just for the quarterback, even for like a guy like wide receiver Jalen Hyatt. Yeah. So how how do you how do you take that with Hendon Hooker and and how do you evaluate him?
1: Yeah, it, it is a tough evaluation because of that offense, because that you know I've used this phrase before. It almost feels like Hooker is like three four years ahead of his time. You get the feeling as we did say six, seven years ago with air raid quarterbacks where it's like, well, this, these are video game numbers and it's great, but that's not going to work on Sundays. Like how does, how does this actually translate? Well, we're seeing now how it translates. We're seeing quarterbacks have success with it. We're seeing more and more NFL teams running air raid concepts. We're seeing air raid coaches move into the NFL ranks, So they're installing more air raid concepts. And you wonder if, We see a similar transition maybe eight, nine years down the road, five years down the road as teams look at what Tennessee and Josh Heupel did and think, we can do some of that. You start seeing that offense proliferate around the college game and then more of those coaches come up into the NFL ranks, more players with that background more Jalen Hyatt's get drafted late first, early second. And it's like, you could do one thing well, take the top off of defense in this sort of system. We can do that with you to start you out as we fill in the rest of your game. So you wonder if Hooker was coming out 26, 27, you know, maybe he'd be an easier call because you're seeing more of that type of offensive influence in the NFL. And so I think that the evaluation part is hard because it's like, you know, you're going to be looking for a long time to find an example of him going full field read, you know, not that you have to do that, but these other guys we've talked about, even Levis can sort of get you one, two to three to four. He's looking one, two, and then I'll run around or throw it away. Like some of the backside guys aren't even running routes. And so it's hard to find examples of him even getting to a backside of a read, but what he was asked to do, He did extremely well. And so that's sort of the jumping off point, right? It was, this was what he was asked to do and he did it extremely well. And you might have to, as an offense, you know, the playbook won't be as broad scale as it was, as it could be for some of these other guys, because you're going to have to give him, you know, a concept and then a backside single read, right? Where it's like, okay, you're going to give you the smash and you'll have a dig on the backside. And that's your concept to backside. We'll we'll fill it in over time. So it's, it would be a deeper, slower transition, I think for him to the next level, but the other concerns with him, the age, the need, I don't worry about that so much. Quarterbacks are playing earlier. So it's not like you're drafting him to sit for four years and hold a clipboard. Like he's going to play sooner rather than later. So great. And then he'll probably, if he, if it works, he'll play deeper into his career. It's not like you're getting just eight years out of a guy. These days, these guys can play for longer The knee he should be ready for training camp. I mean, Medical science is what it is. ACLs aren't what they used to be. And so those concerns I'm not as worried about. It's the offense and that translation from the hype offense to what he might see in the NFL. That's the bigger concern. That's why I think, you know, there's all this buzz and I, we do this every year, right? Mason Rudolph was going to be the sixth quarterback taken in the first mm-hmm. round of that 2018 draft. I mean, I'm old enough to remember Paul Christian Hackenberg getting that late first round buzz right before that 2016 draft. And Either we can go back. Defense. We can go back even later. Ryan Nassib, you know,
0: Matt Barkley, Barkley David Webb, all these Davis guys, Webb. all these I guys mean, leading we, to the because we the do draft. this
1: every year, right? <laughs> We've got the three or the four, or in some cases the five quarterbacks. We're like, yeah, these are the first round guys, and then I'm like, yeah, let's get one more in there, right? And I think last year was the year where that conversation finally flipped because if you remember the lead up to last year, it was look Ritter, Pickett. Willis, like, they're going to go in the first round because the NFL, they can't help themselves. They're, they're going to do this. We do this every year. And the NFL was like, you know what? We're not. <laughs> Surprise. And then I remember right in my round two mock draft saying, all right, well, the NFL is going to do it on the second round, right? We're going to see Raider. We're going to see Luke Willis. And they're like, no, 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 no. Wait till later on round two. No, we're, we're still not going to do it. Late on day two, that's what we're going to do it. Um, So we've seen this start to flip a little bit, but here we are again. No, no, no. we got to get that one extra quarterback in the first round. Now, that being said, I've heard Detroit at 18. You know, Seattle with their second pick at 20, Minnesota at 23 maybe. There are some potential spots where a team that maybe if they want to give them a medical red shirt in a year to sort of develop in an NFL type of system, you know, Detroit and Minnesota with – You know, the Kirk Cousins situation they've got there. Even Seattle with Geno Smith, give Geno another year, but then you've got a potential guy in your system already with a year of learning under his belt. Like there are some landing spots that could make sense. It's just we've been burned by this extra quarterback in the first round so many times that I need to see it before I believe it. So these props that I see with the over under four and a half, you know, 4.5 QBs in the first round, I'm going to hammer the under. And if I get burned on it, okay.
0: Yeah, and I, I will say, I think the one thing that had me a little bit more intrigued, I feel like in the past, when when that information has kind of popped up, it, it sounded like it came usually more from, like, one of the NFL insider guys who drops, like, the free agency and the trades, and I always would think to myself, like, are they getting that from an agent, and they're doing the agent a favor and stuff like that? Like, I feel like the first person that put Hooker out there was DJ, Daniel Jeremiah. Yeah. He's not usually the guy that's trying to put something out there for like an agent or, or like keeping connections. Like, so that was the one thing hey, that was like interesting. interesting that it came from him first. Now I feel like there's been more noise since it, but like the first one all of a sudden was DJ throwing him in his mock. And it was like, Hmm. Like, I wonder if he knows something that maybe other people don't because that he right now, like he's probably the draft guy that I feel like gets the most news or sources correct. And that was the one thing that had my interest a little bit peaked with the hooker compared to years past.
1: And the other thing with the hooker discussion this year is in years past, it was, well, some teams going to trade back in the first just to get that for three year option. It wasn't like, you knew that there were teams that needed a quarterback or maybe had the luxury of a second pick in the first round. There were a situation where it would make legitimate sense to do it. Right. It was more of a theoretical this year. You've got, again, Detroit at 18 and Seattle at 20 each with their second pick in the first round, each with, you know, a a quarterback that, you know, maybe it's with Goff, he's going to be looking at an extension. Maybe with Gino, yeah, you just did it, but it's sort of a shorter-term extension. And so there's an opportunity to perhaps draft and develop a guy who might year need a year of red shirt and for medical and or offensive adjustment reasons. And so it makes sense there. And so it, it's more of a – it's not just a theoretical like, oh, some team, some nebulous team out there might come back in the first place. You've got two teams, and one of those teams in Seattle – Looked us in the face at the combine and said We're not picking at five too often so Franchise quarterbacks don't grow on trees this might Be the draft one so they're doing their work On quarterbacks and maybe if You know there's just Will Levis available Or if we do get the scenario where four go First maybe they think okay well Thanks we're glad to take Will Anderson Jr. off your hands Rest of the NFL shame That that's going to happen to us and that's the, The penalty that we're having to Endure here is settling for Will Anderson Jr. or Jalen Carter Whomever, And then they say, okay, well, here's our opportunity to get a quarterback, and we'll take Hendon Hooker and let him learn and sit behind a guy that many have compared him to in Geno Smith.
0: Yeah, it would be a fascinating uh, you know, turn of events there. Let's finish on Hendon Hooker, two things. Is he your QB5, and would you be comfortable? Maybe round one is not in, in play from what I've gathered. Uh, is he a, a clear day two guy for you where you'd pull the
1: trigger? Yeah, I mean, he's my QB5. Um, and I coming out of Indianapolis, my favorite question to ask people that I saw there was who's QB5? Because it felt like everybody had the same top four, and there are some that have you know Hooker up there, and some people that have. You know, maybe Hooker and you know their QB two spot. I've seen some, uh, but it seems like everybody had, for the most part, the same four. It was who's five, and it seems like Hooker sort of won that argument. You see some with Tanner McKee, and some have gone in a couple of different directions, but it seems like he's QB five. He's QB five for me. Um, But I'm much more comfortable, like you said, you know, round two. I mean, you know, if there's that sort of scenario where a team like Minnesota or You know, some of the others that we've talked about feel like, okay, we could do it at the end of the first round. I could understand it, um, but he's more of a day two guy for me.
0: Yeah. And to me, that's where day two ends. So I'm interested to see if you see anybody else that you'd pull the trigger on. I think the rest of the, to me, it's a teardrop. And then I think all the other guys are day three guys. Some of them have some interesting. uh you know trade sitter game is there anyone else in the mix that you like maybe your qb6 or qb7 anybody else that you'd pull the trigger on day two or do you think the rest of the group is is day three spread out
1: yeah i mean if this were 2005 i'd be fascinated to see if this were 2005 what the tanner mckee discussion would look like because if this were 2005 forget you know top 50 he might be in the mix for QB1. I mean, if you think about where the game has evolved from, because he's your 6'6", statuesque Joe Flacco quarterback. And in years gone by, that's a first-round pick. But in, you know, the NFL of 2023, that's – you're looking at day three. Like, that's probably where you're at. I know PFF is very high on him. You know, they've got him as, I think, a fringe first round, um, which seems high to me because of, again, how the game has evolved. But, you know, there are some things that he does well – I was talking to Derek Clawson at the combine. And he was like, "Once you get past like the top four, you're going to have to sacrifice something." You know, to, to... With, with Hooker, it's like he, he was running a, the Josh Heupel offense, and you're not getting somebody with like a, a background of experience and something that translates to the NFL. With McKee, it's like somebody that throws a good ball, but he's sort of a statuesque kind of guy. Like you're having to give something up, but you know, after Hooker, it's more draft-and-develop type of players. I mean, one of my favorites is probably DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I, I really like him. Um, Seattle, if they don't go quarterback early, I would love that landing spot. I know there's a Baltimore situation still unfolding with Lamar, but Baltimore, could, I, I'd like him in New England. I mean, I, I like DTR and a lot of what he's done. And even in that Chip Kelly offense, a lot of time and rhythm throws. Um, so I like him. Jake Hayner, I like a lot too, mostly because he's tough competitive toughness that game against ucla really stood out to me you know he's probably more of your like backup spot starter taylor heineke type but i do like him and i will say this i've seen the jokes stetson bennett's going to be the best audi dealer you know the state (laughs) of georgia 10 years from now i've made some of the jokes too but there is something about that kid all right Kid, maybe he's more of a peer of mine. Maybe we're almost the same age. I don't know. He is, he is an older prospect. Georgia didn't ask him to do much. There were a lot of bubbles and tunnels and check downs and throws to the flat. But when they asked him to do some things like attack the middle of the field, throw dagger, throw dig routes, he did it fairly well. He's undersized but athletic. He's got two titles. And look, everybody talks about Stroud's game against Georgia. And I know one of those touchdowns was a fall down situation from the corner, but Bennett. Hun with him in that game um and if nothing else when the patriots are on the clock in the sixth round maybe they take a flyer on julian edelman 2.0 and you see stetson Bennett's slot receiver at some point because he did test fairly well so i got kind of a soft spot for stetson you know maybe it's you know being an undersized backup quarterback my playing career and Maybe I, I sort of want to see an undersized backup-type quarterback have a little bit of success down the road. I don't know, but I got a sort of soft spot for Stetson Bennett. And I know someday I will buy an Audi from him whenever he decides <laughs> to open that dealership. I'll be first in line.
0: Yeah, listen. I think he's a guy that he actually. I think I actually think earlier on, before the season started, I may have underselled his arm talent a little bit. I think his arm talent's a little bit better
1: yeah. than, than people. I give mean, him it's for. Look, like, it's not like Richardson. It's not like you know DTR is got a good arm. It's not like any of these guys. But like when he needed to dial up the RPMs, he could do it. Like it's not a howitzer, but it's an NFL average to slightly above average arm, which that's okay.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. A couple other day guys. Let me kind of group them. You can kind of go where whichever way you want. Uh, uh Jaron Hall out of BYU, Aiden O'Connell out of Purdue, uh, and Clayton Toon out of Houston. Any any of those
1: offer a little intrigue on Date Jaren Jaron Hall. Um, I wanted I really wanted to like him more. I, I there was a world like, you know, watching him last season over the summer get into this year and watching him during the fall where I was like, okay, this is gonna be my QB five. Like I went into mm-hmm. My like post NFL, post Super Bowl, like pre combine heavy draft study sessions thinking I want him to be my QB five. And I couldn't get there. You know, I I couldn't get there. There are moments when it's like, look, the pocket feel like he had some plays where it's just pressure off multiple edges, pressure in his face. And he's like completely impervious to it. He's like, I'm going to move around, slide around, create space with my feet and make a throw. And I'm like, man, I absolutely love this. And then you see him backed up in the shadow of his own end zone against Notre Dame. And it's like he's impervious to pressure and he takes a sack for a safety. It's because he's got almost – his his lack of awareness in the pocket and his lack of a, a feel for pressure is almost too good because it's working against him because he's not feeling that pressure and he takes a sack. Like that I sort of struggled with. Didn't have the best draft process. Uh, you know, his pre-draft process, um, you know, people weren't impressed with down at the bowl game combine throwing session was a little bit spotty. I wanted to like him more. I still sort of like him as a draft and develop option on on day three, but uh I, I like I said, I wanted to like him more. Toon kind of impressed me. There are moments where I was like, yeah, man, I right, sign me up for this. Um there are moments when it's a bit more inconsistent. Um if there was, you know, no, no DTR in this class, he would probably be that guy I'd look to instead of DTR as the draft and develop. And you might get a NFL starter out of this Um, there's still that potential but I'm just higher on DTR Um, O'Connell was an interesting study you know throws the ball well I think moves okay Um, just doesn't move the needle as much for me as you know Toon, Hanner, and, and DTR
0: yeah, Dune's an interesting one. And I know here in New York, he he came in for a top thirty visit for the Giants, who I do think may dabble in one of these developmental guys. Tyrod Taylor's only yeah. locked in uh, for one more year and then he's a free as their backup quarterback. Even the big Daniel Jones contract really could be a two year. So I would be yeah. I'd I'd actually be surprised. If they don't draft a guy on day three, as kind of a little bit of a developmental guy for Dable and Kafka to work with, so Tuten's a guy they brought in for a visit. I think Doran Thompson Robinson would be a very intriguing fit here, working yeah. in working in that offense. Uh, he could come in and, and do a lot of the running capabilities if he. I ever mean, because
1: there's Tyrod comp there just waiting to be made, and yeah, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. These day three guys, you know, I, I think we'll probably get the usual 10 or 11 guys drafted, you know, and, and, but I, but I think it'll be interesting because I do think after I'd be stunned if the top five don't go in with those named the order, right. obviously to be determined, but I do think it'll be very interesting to kind of see. If, if if the NFL views that next, like, five or six guys very differently, do we see somebody come off the board, like, early round four, and then it's not till like, late five or early six, and we get a couple others? Like, is there a gap? Is there a team that looks at one of these guys and pulls the trigger on early four, whether it's Hayner or whether it's DTR? I think it would be DTR, but it might be Hayner. Maybe it's, it's McKee, like – uh My guess would be a team maybe pulls the trigger on DTR early in day three. But it'd be interesting to kind of see that because I think that is like we haven't had a lot of like talk out there from like the major media, major draft insiders in terms of like maybe how it plays out after the top five. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of how like six through eleven, six through 12, maybe if there's 12 quarterbacks drafted, come off the board. So it's going to be really interesting. Uh, before you go, a couple couple things we always like to kind of pivot, uh pivot back to past years. I think there's a lot to talk about from last year. So so let's go back a, a little further and we I mentioned his name before Trey Lance. what are what are you to kind of make of Trey Lance? like is it like because now we don't even know if he's gonna be the guy this year, right? Like they're saying if Purdy's healthy, he's gonna get a chance. So so when we when we look at a guy like Trey Lance, I forget exactly where you were pre-draft with him, obviously that that draft class was, you know was it was it was a really strong quarterback group, but like if you if we liked them in college, are we to believe that we should still like him like if, like because he just hasn't played much, or is it now two years of two more years have basically transpired without him playing that we start to generate more questions? How do you view trey lance and is it changed dramatically from what you thought out of him as a prospect two years ago?
1: yeah, I mean. <laughs> It's hard because, you know, I did like him coming out, but I think one of the things that I liked about him was his fit in a, basically in a Kyle Shanahan offense. I mean, I remember when Waldman and I first did a video of him, like before, even before his draft year, like in the pre-COVID days. And we both said, like, get him to Kyle Shanahan. It's the same offense. And in a way that's almost sort of worked against him, you know, because – not because of what it's like in San Francisco, but just because you haven't, he hasn't really been given a chance to really grow beyond that. He's kind of been in this offense and maybe it hasn't really given him a chance to sort of develop. And then you've got injuries and you've got, you know, well, the other you know set of circumstances that have happened around him where Garoppolo sort of comes back and, you know, they make a run with him. Um, it's been a tough situation for him. And I'm still always of the mind that, You know, you give a quarterback three years to figure things out, sort of that Bill Walsh line. Well, we're in year three, and we still have more questions, like you said, than answers. I think that's a fair way to describe Trey Lance. We still have more questions than answers about who he is, what he will look like when healthy. You know, the limit action he had last year, one game was in the monsoon, and then he gets hurt. Like, And a team's got to move on. I mean, this is a team that's built to win right now. And, you know, they were able to win some games with Jimmy Garoppolo and he gets hurt and they were able to win some games with Brock Purdy. And, you know, it's hard to see a quarterback, a rookie quarterback, take you to the NFC championship game and then see him get hurt and then turn the page from him. Um, I'll be fascinated to see how that unfolds. I think Lance is the better quarterback. At least he was the higher graded prospect for me than Brock Purdy. But Brock Purdy might be just what Kyle Shanahan needs in that system.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. And I, and I always thought that maybe the drama of Aaron Rodgers would end in San Francisco. And I guess there's never it's it's, it's a non-zero percent chance yeah. until, until he's traded somewhere else. But I just always thought that that may be like, you know, everything would be cyclical. They passed on him draft night, you know, all those years ago. Uh, but I but I thought that would would make some sense. I'm actually been surprised that there was no chatter about that this this year because you're right. They're ready. They're ready. If they get good yep. quarterback play, they're ready to go win a championship. Now, and the NFC
1: like, is still pretty open. It's I wide mean, open. Besides, like the Eagles, talent wise, and the Eagles lost guys. Yeah, I mean Dallas, maybe Giants. Yeah, but like it's not like the AFC. I mean, the AFC is just an absolute war of attrition next year. Yeah, it's going to be a juggernaut. Like. Yeah. <laughs> and then last
0: question, there's no way I was letting you leave. I, I mentioned that we tweeted out about this like months ago, the Daniel Jones conversation. I feel like he's, he's getting a lot of hate on Twitter today. I just caught up on Twitter a little bit before we came. we started recording, and a lot of people – about the Saquon and Dex and people, Mike Lombardi, Bucky Brooks saying, well, this is what happens when you overpay your quarterback. And, you know, he's not the best player on the team, but he's being paid like a franchise guy. Listen, the money is what it is. I, I think the Giants were kind of – they were kind of pigeonholed and probably giving him that contract based on how the year went. But let's talk about what you saw. I know you wrote a great piece. What was it over at Big Blue? Uh, I don't know. It was, was an explanation, really right. but um,
1: okay. Big Blue View picked it up, yeah.
0: Got it. Yeah, so uh, – a little bit about Daniel Jones, what you saw out of him in that first year with Dable and Kafka, and maybe what did it change your narrative on what you think his ceiling could be with that scheme, with that offense, and maybe, like, I know people just keep harping on the 15 touchdowns this year. They act like the running game wasn't even there, but that's a different story for a different day. What do you, what do you see as maybe what you saw from him this year? Did you see growth and development, and maybe how high that growth and development could go in this offense if they get some weapon, better weapons around them?
1: Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. One, the Giants had to do this. Like like this is like you said, when you have the season go the way it did, when he makes that sort of step forward under Brian Dable, Mike Kafka, when you get into the playoffs, you get a victory in the playoffs, like the conversation changes about the quarterback. Like this is a quarterback driven league. And if you have that kind of success, you're gonna have to pay the guy. Like that that was what that was the hand and they were dealt. There are benefits to having that success. One of the downfalls is now you got to pay the guy. So, like the money, like you said, is what it is. I think this is another argument in favor of coaching staffs, crafting an offense tailored to the quarterback skill set and the success that then can breed from that. I mean, the run game, like you said, what, 123, I think it was, rushing attempts? Like, clearly, the most of his entire career, but using that athleticism. You, Similar to what the Eagles were doing with Jalen Hurts, like use the quarterback's athleticism, particularly in this too high world we're living in, where not only you run it against the light box, but it's you use the quarterback in the run game, it's now your plus two in the box, right? Because now you get the quarterback as a run threat and you can leave a guy on block. Like it gives you such an advantage, you can do so many different things schematically. So, I think it's an example of what happens when a smart coaching staff puts their quarterback in the best system possible for that player's skill set and where he is in his career now to jones specifically it was we've used this phrase a lot tonight what he was asked to do he did it very well and i think that's a good thing like you, you can only sort of grade and evaluate a quarterback on what he was asked to do and then how he went out and did it and jones did that as you know, as as good as he could have last year. And I think it gives me hope that next year, you know, year two in this system, because let's not forget, Jones has been through a bunch of different offenses. Now he's got Dable and Kafka. And now he's in a system that seems to be much better catered to his skill set. I expect him to take even a a bigger step forward. They had some offensive talent around him. You can see even more in the passing game. Obviously we've now got a Saquon situation that's going to have to play out and we don't know what that's going to look like do we see a by Robinson pick a 25 as a result of that? I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there, but we're seeing that this offense this passing game and that this quarterback in particular can actually be effective in the NFL. And I think there's something to build on with what he did last year with what he did, throwing the ball, attacking the middle field, throwing off the play action, some of the stuff they did in the passing game, as well as what they asked him to do in the run game. So I'm, cautiously optimistic. I like to use that phrase. I'm cautiously optimistic about Daniel Jones year two under Brian Dable.
0: Yeah. And I think the thing that I keep coming back to that if you want to take the optimistic point of view is early in the year when preseason, regular season, we talked about driving the bus before, right? They were driving the bus with Saquon as the bus driver. And then as the year went on, things slowly started to change. And maybe it was the two games against Minnesota, you know, one was on Christmas yep. Eve and then the playoff game. The Colts game was in there when they locked up the, the playoff. Now listen, Colts defense kind of had given up at that point. Minnesota had a horrendous defense. Yep. But even if you just take the defense out of it, the the way they called the game, the way they 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 put the game on Daniel Jones to be the bus driver, to lead that. Now, was it just based on those opponents? Maybe, maybe. But if it wasn't, if it was what they saw him developing and growing to is where I think the optimistic side of it would be is they started to change the offense to not be a Saquon-led offense. They, they made it become a Daniel Jones-led offense. And if you look at the Giants' best offensive games of the season, they all were a, a, the games that they were more Daniel Jones-centric than yeah. Saquon-centric. And I think that's the part where if you want to take the optimistic point of view – you go that route. They brought in Darren Waller. I think that was a good, interest,
1: high reward,
0: roofing. high reward. And then if they could add a piece in round one or round two, I think we could start to see a little bit more of the pieces. Hopefully Wandell Robinson back healthy, you know, and, and, and they get some more pieces around that. So I think it's going to be fun to kind of watch that. And again, as we said, the money thing in about my guess is one calendar year. He goes from being the eighth highest paid quarterback, probably to 15th highest paid quarterback. And then he's probably right where he should be a year from now in the salary pecking order. When Herbert and Burrow and and Lamar, whatever, get their deals, he'll be pushed down and he won't be in the top 10 where he shouldn't be right now. Anybody who takes a, a practical approach he should probably, be based on his age and still theoretically, hopefully more upside, he should probably be in that 13 to 16 price range right. in terms of quarterback salaries. And he's going to be there. It's just these quarterback things kind of take some time to level it out just based on when free agents, just based on when they become available. And the truth of the matter is, if he had shown more with the previous coaching staff, they would have picked up his fifty-year option. And by the time he got his contract, he would have been in that middle range, probably. So I mean,
1: let's think about it: like Lamar, Burrow, Hertz, Tua, like Herbert. Yeah. Herbert, Herber, you're going to get like five deals right, right there. there. So that, that pushes, pushes them, that pushes 13. them right
0: there, eight down to thirteen or fourteen no, in, in no. the blink of a you know, maybe even some of those probably will even get done before the NFL season kicks off this no. year. So also, that's I why wanted to I mean, ask you: this. overreact?
1: Yeah. If they draft a receiver at 25, because I got one right. more mock left in me, and I, I always get to New York at 25, and I'm like, I feel like a receiver is needed. But it seems like you guys got a bunch of slot receivers, and we got a bunch of slot receivers in the draft, and I don't know what to do with that. My what do you want them to do?
0: I, I don't think they're going to – I don't think – unless he just won them over at the, the pre-draft visit, I don't think Quinton Johnson fits – what what dable and kafka look for in their yeah. wide receivers i just don't i know he fits what people want to envision a wide receiver depth chart looking like yeah. and he fits that guy that that they don't have he's on the exact guy that they yeah. kind of need yeah i i think i guy. think the guy that they really want the, the dream is jackson Smith and the jigba falls enough where they can make a small move up and then figure out what to do with Wandell. if you're mostly going to play Smith and the jigba you know on the inside I think they want say Flowers. I think Flowers, from everything I'm hearing, I think Flowers, maybe Addison also, but I think I think I think Flowers is the guy. He I think he, if I remember correctly, I I think 60% last year he played on the outside. There's been a lot of Tyler Lockett comparisons with that inside outside yeah. versatility. I think they probably look at him as a guy who can be moved around which they could have him and Wandell on the field at the same time when Wandell is not going to be a hundred percent snap player. Well, if Wondell is not on the field, then you can kick him inside. You could do some stuff there for him. So I think Zay Flowers, if you're doing a mock and you're picking a wide receiver for the Giants, I, I think if you don't have Zay Flowers off the board, that would be the pick. I think if they don't get Flowers, Addison's possible, I think if, if 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 they don't go there, I think they might wait to the second round. They bring in Marvin really? Mims on a, a top thirty visit. I could totally see them second round looking at a guy like Marvin Mims. I think cornerback is very much in play at, at twenty five. I don't think that the, the center conversation is in play. I, I think I, I think Joe Shane uh, positional value matters too much to him. Yeah. I, I just I don't think. And I don't think any of these centers are really worn, Usually if you go in round one, like you're a special prospect. I mean, Creed Humphrey. I mean, I mean Linderbaugh was too. one of the best prospects. Yeah, and he was way better. He was m- way more highly regarded than these guys. And look yeah. where he fell. Creed Humphrey was the clear number one center in that class. Look where he fell. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't think – I think there's a strong possibility Titman or, or – uh, jms right john michael schmidt yeah. or or steven avalia if, if you want to play him at center i think there's a strong chance one of them is there at 57 and then if, if not even if they kick to the third round a guy like ricky stromberg out of arkansas or luke weipler out of ohio state and i even heard that they like some guys on day four john Gaines out of U, uh, ucla yeah so, Gaines, so yeah. i think there's some there's some options and the guy from michigan who i'm not going to butcher his name so right. so they have they have some they have some fallbacks so i know the uh, the the trendy mock thing, if you don't go wide receiver, has been penciling in the center there. But I think that's just trying to fill a need, and I'm not sure yeah. their current regime is looking at the draft as just filling the need. If it doesn't match up with positional value and and, and just value in general, I have a hard time thinking John Michael Schmidt is like going to be like the twentieth player on their board or whatever. Like if you assume like it's not going to go perfectly one for twenty four off their board, so I have a hard time thinking. A center is going to be like nineteen or eighteen to twenty on their board, which is going to be available twenty-five. So I think wide receiver Flowers or Addison, if not cornerback, and and then wait for the receiver. Even even maybe round Perita might be a guy that they like. So so yeah, they're all slot guys. But I, I think the Giants are probably going to be okay with a guy so much who has a, has a There's my
1: most recent walk, and there's Zay Flowers right there to the Giants. So I feel well, so much better about that, Paul. Thank you.
0: I, I think I think that's. I think that's the guy that they ideally want. We'll see if it plays out that way, uh, but but I think they look at him and they envision him, Wandell, and, and I think they got a lot of out of Isaiah Hodgins, and I think there's yeah. still more, still more there, and Darren Waller is going to be a big part of things, right? He's not, he's a bigger-bodied guy, so I think with Hodgins and Waller. Giving them some size down the red zone, they're not gonna be as concerned with this other wide receiver. And Wandell, who knows if he's gonna be ready for the beginning of the year, you know, and he's gonna be locked into the inside when he's on the field. So I I think they're okay going another slot guy. Jameson Crowder is a body for for Camp. Shepherds is there as a, as like a team leader. Like if yeah. he gets anything out of him, great. So like I know we look at it, they have a lot of slot guys. But do they really? Besides Wandell, for for like you know for the next couple of years, that's basically where it is. So like I, I don't think they're gonna use. I don't think they're gonna base it too much on that. And Joe Shane and and Dable both came out and said the number one thing they look for a wide receiver is separation. I mean, Say Flowers is it's as good as you can get. Besides yeah. maybe you know Jackson Smith and the Jigba, yeah. you know in short area creating separation. So that would be my that would be my guy. Love it, absolutely love it. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on. It is one of my favorite shows every year uh, to to look at these prospects, to go back and look at a couple guys from, from the past couple of years. Uh, please let the audience, I'm sure most of them are following you and following your work. Please let them know where to follow you Is that you're working on or going to be working on over the next couple of weeks. Please share it out.
1: Well, Paul, I've always loved coming on. This is one of my favorite shows every year. It's a, it's a blast to, to chat all of you, to talk shop, to chop it up before and after the shows too. You can follow me though, On Twitter, at Mark Schofield, see, I did the point right. I always get it wrong. I I got it right this time. (laughs) Mostly because you might have seen me just do kind of like one of these. Okay, I got it right. Um, SBNation.com, where I am full-time now. A lot of draft stuff coming your way. We got everything from chaos mocks, regular mocks, prop bets, all sorts of fun stuff as we get closer to the draft. And then, you know, the NFL season ends. But, Paul, let me write about Formula 1. And so I'm writing a lot of Formula 1 stuff now, too. I don't know if you're an F1 fan, but if, if you are listening and you are an F1 fan, I got you covered there as well. But you can find it all at Mark Schofield on Twitter and SBNation.com. Guys, make sure you're checking out all of Mark's great work, following
0: him and checking out all his articles. So on behalf of Mark, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. I look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.